gaming, as Dan alluded to, and we were asking big questions, and our biggest question I would say we were grappling with last weekend was, what is God's big yes for Hillside right now? What is God wanting to do here? And, and, and we're, we're asking that, and we've been on this exciting journey the last couple of years, where really we've been asking kind of for God's, you might call it his behalf, to steal a phrase, uh, not big, hairy, audacious goal, but big, hairy, audacious vision. We want God's vision for this church, and I'm excited about, about how God's been leading. And uh, we're going to unpack that, actually, together on February 4th. Uh, it's a Saturday from 10 till 2. We typically have, a, in the spring a, or, or winter, uh, a leader's edge where we take a couple or three or four videos from the Leadership Summit. We're going to be doing some of that. We're going to be showing a couple really inspiring videos this year. It was just great content. We're going to be showing those that day, and then on top of that, spending some time with our elders, having them share kind of where we're at, where we're going, and what does that mean for how we do church together. And it's going to, it's going to mean some change, and we want to wrestle that through. We want to have your buy-in and, and your input. And so I uh, want to encourage you to, to make that a priority. If you'd like to join us, uh, we've, we invite all our core leaders to be there for sure, if you can make a way, but everyone is welcome, and we'll even serve pizza that day as well. So it's going to be good. Now, before we get any further, just uh, lots of talking going on. So just turn to your neighbor real quick and say, Derwin's going to be long today. We better stretch. <laughs> just, 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 uh, yeah. Isn't that, that? And some of you are saying, He's long every day. Why should it be any different today? That's what I think. Um, this whole question, uh, question asking God's big yes for our church is actually a good question to ask of us. What is God's yes for us? What is his big yes for you and for me? And I've been thinking about this and kind of grappling with this question for, for some time. And I suspect that God's yes might actually look a little bit different than what our yes would be for our lives, right? And, and as my faith has been growing over the years, my conviction is that actually God's yes is going to be better than our yes, that he's actually got a better idea. I, I mean, we, there, there's that verse, uh, your ways are higher than our ways. I, I think they're better. His ways are better than our ways. His, his idea for our life is better than our, our idea for our life. Now, if we want to find out what God's yes looks like for a human being, there, I think there's almost no better place in Scripture than to go to Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that's spoken on that hillside. Uh, we find it in Matthew 5 through, through chapter 7. But within that sermon, uh, there's probably no better place in terms of a vision of what God's vision is for our lives than to go to the Beatitudes, the introduction. Um, we're going to spend some time there over the next nine weeks. Now, Beatitudes is a word that essentially, some of you would know this, is a word that means happy or blessed. It's really a word for blessings. And, and the Beatitudes, these blessings are some of the most well-known and, and well-loved words of Jesus. And if you grew up in the Christian faith, I would say you might just have become a little bit immune to their power, <laughs> right? We bump into these words all over the place. We see them on plaques or in greeting cards. Uh, they're the content of inspirational emails and we, I think, lose a sense of just how radical and upside down these words are, of Jesus are. They actually might be the most revolutionary words that Jesus ever spoke. Uh, Daryl Johnson, who is a Bible teacher and, and Bible scholar, he says, 
these beatitudes, these words ought to come with a cautionary label. Warning, let these words loose and your world will get rocked. And so in this new series, as we spend these, these weeks in the Beatitudes, we're going to go deeper in each one. And we're going we're gonna to study them in many of our small groups. Uh, encourage you to consider that. We'll have study notes like we've had today and, and uh, questions that are on the back there for your groups to go through. But before we say anything more about the Beatitudes, let's, let's read the Beatitudes. Because if God's yes is better than our yes, then let's just get in on this world rocking that he wants to do in our lives. I, I suspect that you and I, some of us, could use our worlds getting rocked in these early days in 2017. Matthew chapter 5, if you would stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word, we'll begin at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Now, Jesus, uh, just like you saw the crowds that day when you spoke those words, you see us this morning. And uh, as you, you sat there on that hillside and you laid out a vision for life that was so different and so challenging and so upside down, we ask you this morning that you would teach us. Share, share with us, Jesus, your vision for our lives that we might become people who fully enter into God's yes. We pray these in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a seat. Now, as challenging as these Beatitudes are, and upside down they are, uh, as Graham reminded us last week, God is a promise-keeping God, and these Beatitudes are filled with promise. And their promise is, is wrapped up in this theme of what has uh, been called the gospel. Gospel is a simple word that means good news. And there are words that I'd say gospel that are actually kind of challenging to understand. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my aunt passed away, and I, I was... Uh, on a flight back to Ontario to, to actually participate in her funeral. And uh, I think some people think that because of my particular personality and nature that I just love getting on, on planes where I'm stuck next to a stranger for three or four or five hours where I can, you know, pick their brains, all that kind of stuff. I, I love meeting new people. That's true. But it's not true when it comes to traveling on planes. I actually look at travel time on planes as kind of like me time. Like I, I love to sit quietly. I love to, to read a book, uh, do Sudoku, and, and sort of think about my life. And, and this day was no different. I'd gotten onto the, the plane uh, transferred in Calgary off onto Ontario. And uh, this was not going to be the case this particular trip, I could tell right, right from the start. 
I'm sitting be beside a young, young woman, uh, a 27, 28-year-old nurse from Edmonton, and uh, we began chatting about life, and it was quite clear that we were going to go very deep very fast. Um, we, because we started talking, she asked, why are you traveling? And I said, well, I'm going to a funeral. And she, she asked me who, and we began talking about family and funerals. And next thing you know, we're, we're talking about much bigger topics like, uh, you know, <laughs> education and government. And, and then we went on to things like abortion and euthanasia and human rights. And I'm thinking, wow, this is getting heavy. But I mean, it's just flowing. And... Uh, <laughs> But it's going, and, it, and we're not like shouting at each other, which is a good thing on a plane, you know? Like, I don't want the air marshals, if we have those in Canada, I don't know, but don't want to see them. But we're having this, this great conversation, and there's always that awkward part of the conversation for pastors when somebody says, so what do you do? And you say, well, I'm a pastor. And, and oftentimes there's kind of an awkward response to that. They don't know quite, you know, what did I just say? Is it good, bad? Did I swear? Did I curse? So uh, there's always that interesting response. I almost uh, like want to come up with a different thing that I do. I'm in, you know, some other human resources or something. But, but this girl, there was no awkward response. She's like, oh, good, because I have some questions. And uh, you could see where this had already come. We now uh, entered the mother of all big topics. God, the mother of all big topics. Yes. And, and we, we began discussing his relevance to the world. And, and it was interesting because she grew up in a small town outside of Edmonton somewhere that where her and her family were the only atheists, as far as she, can, she knew, in the entire town. This is like Bible Belt, Alberta. And they were atheists. And uh, she talked about how her mother's death a few years ago rocked her world, her mother's death to cancer. She th talked about her brother's suicide. And this conversation just... Uh, and how... It pushed her to those larger questions, and her, her atheistic faith wasn't providing the answers. And so we, we had this amazing, amazing conversation. And, I, and when I'm talking to a person who doesn't go to church, an unchurched person, I might call them, uh, sometimes I struggle to find the language to share those big faith issues. Those, those, like, like, how do you talk about things like sin or, or grace or forgiveness and all these kind of things that are, that are kind of uh, part of our lingo, you know? And, and I'd say gospel is one of those words. Gospel, I would say, is a word that's probably the most important word in the human language to understand. And yet, do we get that word? Uh, I wonder, right? Um, it's largely misunderstood, I think. And so, before we begin unpacking the Beatitudes, I want to spend a few minutes today thinking about this gospel that Jesus came preaching, because this gospel is the central theme, not just of the Beatitudes, it's core to the Beatitudes and, and to understand it. It's, it's really entirely what Jesus came teaching and pe preaching and demonstrating. And we're going to have to have a bit of a handle on this in order to be able to understand these radical and revolutionary words of the Beatitudes. So let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of the word gospel? Some of you might uh, have a, an image just popped to your mind, Bill Gaither, right, you know, gospel, a type of music, uh, maybe a, a book of the Bible, maybe there's this idea of, of believing in something, or a phrase that somebody, you've heard somebody say, I, I like, I, I'm telling you the gospel truth, right? Uh, or, or you're thinking of a type of preacher, maybe you have something like that in mind. But if Jesus were saying to a group of people, I want to tell you the gospel, I want to tell you the good news, what would come next? What, what is the gospel that Jesus Christ himself proclaimed? 
Well, if we pulled, uh, I think, a lot of people on this question, we'd get a lot of different answers. And so I, I just want to read some scriptures. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all had very similar summaries of Jesus' message. In 1 Mark 1, 14 to 15, where it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the, the good news, proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And very similar summaries are given at the beginning of, of Matthew and at the beginning of Luke. Now, once Jesus chose his disciples, he adopted a, a strategy in order to communicate this message to everybody he could. Luke 8, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Then in the next chapter, uh, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them to proclaim this message, this one message, Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then after Jesus was, was crucified and rose from the dead, he met with his disciples, and in Acts 1 verse 3, it says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then we've got the last chapter in the last, and last verse in the early church in the book of Acts. Paul is proclaiming one truth. Acts 28, verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, if you're going to say, what Jesus' gospel was in one phrase, what would it be? The kingdom of God. You're paying attention, Wally. Jesus, good news, Jesus' gospel is, is simply this, that the kingdom of God, and we'll come back to what that means, that the kingdom of God through Jesus has now become available for, for ordinary human beings to live in. And it's right here, and it's, it's right now, and you can walk right in into that kingdom if you want to. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, great mind, wrote a great book called The Divine Conspiracy. He talks a lot about this, and, and he talks about this good news, this gospel, what it means, kind of fleshed out for us. And to paraphrase him, he basically says, now that the kingdom of God has come, now that it's been made near or available to us, what this means is that you change your plans for living. You know, you, you rearrange your life based on this extraordinary offer from Jesus. Now, growing up for me, um, this, this whole idea of gospel had a lot to do, or, or almost exclusively to do with me having my sins forgiven and, and accepting Christ and being made right, made right with God. That was what gospel was in my mind growing up. In fact, I, I'll never forget when I was about 19, I was a camp counselor at a family camp in Ontario, and I was working with this kid named Daniel, and, and Daniel... Uh, over the course of the week, we spent a lot of time together, kind of one-on-one, and, and he kind of opened up his life. And I, and I realized he was a Christian, but really struggling with one thing. He had a terrible, I mean, horrific relationship with his father. And over the course of that week, you could just see that, this, that him forgiving, he said, I don't think I can forgive my dad. And late in the week, uh, the camp speaker speaking, Daniel sitting beside me in this large camp meeting, there's like 600 people there, and, and the, the speaker at the end gives a kind of a traditional altar call, invites people up to the front. And uh, I turned to Daniel, I said, do you want to go up to the front and let's 
maybe together we could pray and forgive your father. He says, Derwin, I'd like to do that. So we went up to the front, and I'm, an, I'm a new Christian leader. I didn't know much. This, this Christian speaker who was like a, a, a giant in our denomination came running over to us. I don't know if we were the only ones that night or what, but he kind of took over. And before Daniel could pray a prayer for giving his dad, this guy's leading this Daniel to Christ, asking him to forgive his sins and accept Jesus. And I mean, even, he even sang a very true, he had the, the, the guy say, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart. I mean, seriously, how weird is that? And I, I was not very assertive. I wish I'd stopped. I think he's already a Christian. That's covered. That's not why I came. And I just kind of went along for the ride, which I regret to this day. But that kind of summed up my, my upbringing. The gospel was mostly about accepting Christ, forgiving, dealing with your kind of, your, 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 your moral slate. Are you in the clear with God? And, and, and it's true. The gospel does at its core include forgiveness of our sin as a free gift of grace that we could never earn. And Jesus' gospel includes the, the fact that, that death will never have the final word for us, that our eternal life with God will never cease. But the gospel includes so much more than that. Jesus came as the kingdom bringer, that the, the kingdom was somehow now present in his, his very body and in his very life and in his very words. You know, you know, we sometimes think that the only reason that Jesus came was to die, you know, to die for, on the cross for us. But, but dying on the cross was actually only kind of a piece of his, his mission. Jesus' overall mission was to be the kingdom bearer and the, the kingdom bringer. In, in Matthew 6, so it's a little bit later in the sermon, the same Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's talking to believe, people who, who, yes, believe in God, but they're kind of frittering away their lives. You know, they're getting kind of caught up in the things of life. Uh, you know, what, what kind of food am I going to eat? What kind of drink am I going to drink? What, you know, what kind of job am I going to get? How much money am I going to earn? Where am I going to live? All this kind of stuff. And Jesus talks about this stuff because, well, you know, we all kind of struggle there uh, often. And, and it's just human nature, and we get wrapped up in that. But he says this in Matthew 6. He says in Matthew 6, 32, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Seek it first. Seek it above all else. Seek it above everything else. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, this is extraordinary to me. I, I, I didn't really get this for the longest time, that, that Jesus' one gospel was the availability of the kingdom. His one purpose was to model, to, to manifest the reality of of that kingdom in his life and in his words and in his death and in his resurrection. His one command was to pursue the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom of God. His, his one plan for his people was to extend his kingdom in the world. And at the end of the, the book, Paul proclaimed the, the kingdom of God with great boldness and without hindrance. And yet, Millions of people who name the name of Jesus couldn't tell you what the kingdom is. So before we go into depth into the Beatitudes, we've got to pause for a moment and explore what this central message of the gospel is all about. The Beatitudes will only make sense when we begin to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. So let's talk for a few moments about the kingdom. Um, 
Now, part of the problem in talking about the kingdom is that uh, to Jesus in his day, his hearers, they knew all about kings and kingdoms. We, not so much. I mean, we are technically a monarchy. We have monarchical ties. We have a queen, uh, but she's got really no power. We don't think of it as a kind of a power structure over us. Uh, today, when you think maybe of kingdom, some of you might actually be thinking of Game of Thrones or the, the kingdom of Gondor. That's where my mind went, uh, Mordor, all those places, just to bring Lord of the Rings into it. But what, let's, let's talk about what a kingdom is. Let's start with this. Everybody has a kingdom, at least in how the Bible talks about kingdom, everyone has a kingdom. Uh, your kingdom is that, that little sphere in your life where what you say goes. Dallas Willard would put it this way. Your kingdom is your range of effective will. It's where what you want to have happen, happens. And, and, and people learn very early on uh, to have a kingdom. It's why we don't like being told what to do. It's, like, it's why we don't like backseat drivers. Some of us don't like front seat drivers, I think. But what's a, a two-year-old's favorite word? No. What's their second most favorite word? Mine. Those are kingdom words. <laughs> they really are. A two-year-old is, is learning to have a kingdom. And, and often, <laughs> parents don't like it when their two-year-old tells them these things, but it's <laughs> when they learn this, but it's, it's a really good thing because we were made to have a kingdom. It's, it's part of what it means to be a person, to be a, a human being made by God. Um, we see this on, on family road trips, don't we? Little kids in the back seats say to their siblings, don't cross this line, right? Why? Because over here is my kingdom, in a sense. And they'll defend that kingdom. And then uh, the parents, the mom or, or dad, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're like reaching back. Because who do they think the, the car's kingdom is? You know, it's their king, right? And, and so uh, <laughs> then they say things like, do you want me to come back there? which, by the way, always comes across as a pretty empty threat because you know they're not going to do it while the car's moving, right? You know that's not going to happen. And, and so there's a little bit of this, this hole going on, and, you know, and you, you're driving. You touch the brakes just right, and maybe they'll come forward. Yeah, you okay? Yeah. Thy kingdom come. <laughs> uh, my dad actually, uh, he, he had, you know, it was not as much of an empty threat because we saw him do this. He'd say, do you want me to pull over? <laughs> and you didn't want him to pull over. You really didn't. Uh, but my kingdom is the range of my effective will where things go the way I want them to go. And having a kingdom is a good thing. Um, it's part of what God made us for. It, it's, it's what we see in the earliest, earliest pages of Scripture in, in Genesis. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, and let them have dominion. Another good word, which is a, it's kingdom language way back in Genesis 1, and it's part of what it means to reflect God's image. Now, part of the problem is, is that our kingdoms get marred by sin. We get kind of twisted, and, and, uh, and, and we have these kind of kingdom clashes uh, that go on. I mean, we see it with a parent of a two-year-old, you've got kingdoms clashing there. You see any, any household, those kind of things. Uh, you see it in workplaces, kingdom clashes, right? 
Another uh, aspect of it is just that simply that kingdoms merge and you end up having kind of a dominant kingdom. Uh, it happens in schools and, and governments and businesses and so forth. And so you might call all of these things, what you might call them is, let's uh, write it down here. Kingdom of earth. describing kind of these systems of power and all these other systems that, that exist around us. Now, Jesus also says there is a kingdom of, earth, uh, kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is God's range of effective will, where what God says goes, where as God wants it to be, it's happening. It's, it's, it's existing. And Jesus said that this, this spiritual kingdom of God actually exists. It's a, it's a spiritual kingdom that is actually real. And, and, and that's why Jesus talked about it so much, and he gave us so many examples in his teaching. He said things a lot like, the kingdom of God is like, right? He wanted us to, to get our minds around, what is this? He says, whoever humbles himself like a little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of God. You find that in Matthew 18. In Luke 14, he describes how the kingdom of God is, is like this lavish banquet in which the poor and the blind and the lame and the cripple all get invited. Or Romans 14, where the apostle Paul says that the kingdom of God is not so much about legalistic rules about what we eat or about what we drink, but it's about righteousness and peace and, and joy. And, and, and so imagine, imagine a society where there is no pride or arrogance, where there's no, you know, there's just no big shots, you know, just a, a spirit of, of servanthood and, and humility. Imagine a society where everyone is on the lookout for those who are lonely, for those who are on the margins are feeling rejected and they get included and they get celebrated and loved. Imagine a society where nobody uh, goes around doing anything small-minded, you know, like, like being a gossip or slandering or, or doing cruel things. And, and then watching all over this and keeping it all going is this father of Jesus who is endlessly celebrated for his infinite love. And Jesus says, this is the kingdom of God and it exists right now. But there's this other domain, isn't there? Kingdom of earth. <laughs> And, and how's that going? I mean, uh, it was interesting in December listening, it was, it was exhausting actually hearing the summaries of how 2016 was as a year. And lots and lots of people in the media thought 2016 was just the worst year ever. I, I think I know why they think that, but in, in some senses it was a bad year. I mean, and if we want to get a, an idea of, of, of what's going on in the kingdom of earth, we don't have to go far. I mean, we see it in our neighborhoods. We, we hear stories of friends going through, through things. We, but we listen to the news and the radio, and we hear about refugee crisis that uh, is, is the greatest homelessness issue that the planet has ever had. More displaced peoples right now living in tents or away from their homes than ever. The family that we're sponsoring to come to Canada, they had 21,000 people in their city. It's now a city of 1,000. 20,000 of a city of, of 21,000 are homeless or, or living in 
begged, borrowed accommodations. And I think, I think of the mass shootings we hear about. Like, I mean, seriously, don't you get tired of, of hearing about the mass shootings that are happening in, our, in North America, around the world? Uh, Istanbul, not too long ago. Um, think of Fort Lauderdale and, and <laughs> schools and bars and all these places. It's just a mess. That's the kingdom of the earth. And, and here's the thad, sad thing is we kind of just get used to it. So Jesus had this plan. Jesus said, here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring this up here, and I'm going to bring it down here. And we see this expressed in his most famous prayer. What, what do we call it? The Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer. Um, by the way, I heard a story this week uh, from, from the Chicago Bears back in the 1980s. They were kind of a powerhouse team made up of big players like, uh, was it Bill McMahon and and William Refrigerator Perry, he was called. Can you imagine being nicknamed Refrigerator? Love it. <laughs> is, is time over? I got to quit. Sorry, guys. And uh, the chaplain of the team and, and this Jim McMahon, this, this one player, uh, one of the stars, they had, that, they had this $50 bet that, that William Refrigerator Perry would not know the Lord's Prayer. And so... <laughs> Before uh, one, of the, one of the practices, the, the chaplain asked uh, Perry to say the Lord's Prayer, and they all, the team all got down on their knees, and, and, and he begins praying. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. <laughs> the real funny thing in the story is that, that uh, McMahon actually uh, apparently gets out his $50 and, and begins handing it to, to, to the chaplain saying, I, I really didn't think he'd know the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> that's a, that, by the way, that's a good prayer, but it's maybe not, it's not the Lord's Prayer for sure. Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? on earth. Notice that the prayer wasn't, get me out of here so I can go up there. Um, a, a lot of Christians think that, that our primary job as a Christian is to primarily take care of our afterlife, like to get that all sorted out, you know, hope for beyond. Uh, a lot of Christians think that, uh, that. There's a lot of people that hold on to that as very much the primary thing that the gospel is about. You remember that uh, little old prayer that we find, found on that old TV show, Star Trek, you know? People would get into trouble, and what would they pray? Get me out of here, Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty, right? That's kind of a prayer. I don't know why they were praying to Scotty. Um, but it's like such a mess down here, beam me up. And you'd, you'd have these moments where they'd be literally on, on the threat of great peril, and, and, and then they'd be escaping that. And I was in a store this week down in Vancouver and saw this, uh, this plaque for a wall. Take a look at this. I keep pressing the escape key, but I'm still here. <laughs> That's like some of our prayers. Jesus never had us pray prayers like that. Beam me up out of here and go up there. He always wants us to pray, God, make up there, come down here. To my life, to my small group, to my work, to my school, to my office, to my family, to my city, to my, my nation, to my world. 
This is supposed to be the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in greater Vancouver, British Columbia. Can you imagine what that would be like if up there came down here? What would that be like? Let me ask you, do you think Jesus was actually serious when he asked us to pray prayers like that? That this could actually happen? Well, we've seen it. We've seen it first in, in Jesus. When, when people saw him and heard him and watched him, uh, they experienced the kingdom of God on earth. We, we see it in the way he was around people. I mean, he, he received people and loved people, and he, he blessed little children, and he told the truth. And, and he talked about how this is what life in the kingdom was, was, was like. And, and then his plan is that it would happen not just in him, but it would happen in, in me, and it would happen in you, because the coming of the kingdom of God now begins with the transformation of human beings. <laughs> the coming of the kingdom of God begins with the transformation of you, and you, and you, and you, and you. This all brings us back to the Beatitudes, because the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 come immediately after Jesus announced his gospel, the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. And the people Jesus describes in the Beatitudes are, as Daryl Johnson puts so well, the kind of people who emerge when the kingdom of God starts to break out into the world. Do you get that? The kind of people, Beatitude people are the kind of people who begin to emerge when the kingdom of God starts to break into the world. Let me say, folks, this, this is, all of this is, is God's yes for our lives. God wants his kingdom to break out in us so that, so that honestly, that greedy folk would become generous, so that consumers would become content, so, so liars would grow into to truth tellers, so, so uh, complainers would become grateful people, uh, so that a, approval junkies would, would come to, to rest in the, the knowledge of the love of God, you know, uh, so that indifferent people, indifferent to those around them, would become merciful or full of mercy. This is, is really important as we think about what we want to do and what we want to be as a church. Um, you know, we really have been dreaming big and, and, and seeking to pursue and get focused on God's mission and vision. We've talked about that, that God's given us. And as your pastor, I'm tempted to almost just want to give out ministry assignments. <laughs> hey, we got some great opportunities to do good in our community. I mean, God's opening up doors with schools and with, with the city and, and with organizations, and we'd love to partner with those, and we just need some people to get out there and go. And not to mention the kind of opportunities here in our midst. Like, seriously, let's get on that and do it, Right? If the kingdom of God, let me say, if the kingdom of God gets a hold of us truly, that'll happen. We will be going and showing. We will be loving. We won't just be sitting twiddling our thumbs. We'll actually be out there making a difference in our world and, and here at Hillside and beyond. But the coming of God's kingdom reign in our lives has more, uh, more to do with the kind of people that God wants to shape us to be than it will be about any other mission that we pursue. 
Becoming kingdom people is ultimately his mission. Not, not just a, a, a group, group of people who, who occasionally practice acts of compassion, but, but who become compassionate people. Not just people who from time to time give, but who are by their very nature, they have become generous, truly generous. Not, not just people who occasionally forgive, but, but in their very very nature become gracious people, forgiving people, slow to take offense. I'm talking about changed hearts. And that's what the Beatitudes describe, people who've had their hearts changed. So up there comes down here in us. And this all, this all leads to, to a good question, how do we become Beatitude people? Well, we're going to spend the next eight weeks on that, okay? So, so be patient with me this morning. I don't want to give you just quick answers. But it starts with a call to change our thinking. It starts with offering our yes to God's yes. <laughs> kind of agreeing with God. <laughs> Trying to even understand and grapple with this, this seeking of his kingdom first. But let's go back to Jesus' gospel announcement in Matthew 4, 17, where it says, repent for the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1:15 says, repent and believe the gospel. And, and repent simply means think again or think anew or make a, a U-turn. You've been heading in the wrong direction. Make a U-turn and believe the good, good news and, and embrace and lean into who Jesus is and what he's called us to, to, and how he's called us to live out his good news. How will we know if we've actually become repentant people? The clearest sign is, is that we are in fact turning around and believing uh, is that we are becoming Beatitude people. When the good news of, of Jesus grabs hold of you, you'll begin to resemble the people that we see described in Jesus' Beatitudes. Two quick thoughts is that this is God's work. It's his kingdom. And so getting in on this, we pursue his kingdom, but his kingdom coming is, is a prayer we pray because he's got to bring his kingdom. And so that's God's job, but we pray into that. We partner with that in, in seeing this come down in us and come down in our world. Second thing is, is that we don't do this alone. Um, I don't even know how many different ways we can say this, but if we're going to live this out, it won't be us isolated doing this on our own. It is, this is why we have church. This is why we are a church. Uh, and so we, we do small groups for this very reason so that you, you, together we can, can urge each other towards this common vision and this common goal. And so if you're not part of a small group, that's a great tool for this kind of work and going deeper in this. Final, final thought is, if you want to know what a beatitude person is, you don't have to look far. You simply have to look at Jesus. Because Jesus was a beatitude person. He fulfilled that. And, and Jesus doesn't share the gospel of the availability of the kingdom of God. He's the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And he invites us to look to him so that we would experience a change of heart that only he can bring. Um, Bible scholar, theologian, uh, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, uh, was asked uh, what he would tell his children on his deathbed. And he said simply, look at Jesus. And he went on to explain, this is, this is Tom uh, Wright explained why. He said, the person, and I'll close with this, the person who walks out of the pages of the Gospels to meet us is just central and irreplaceable. He is always a surprise. We never have Jesus in our pockets. 
He is always coming at us from different angles. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus and go on looking, he says, until you're not just a spectator, but, that, but you're part of the drama that has him as the central character. Keep on looking until you're no longer sitting on the sidelines, but you're entering into the life that Jesus offers each of us. I'm going to invite you to pray. The team's going to come up and, and uh, sing a final song. But Our Father in heaven, today, this morning, we pray, hallowed be your name. May your name be revered and honored and glorified in our city, in our lives, in our families, in our homes. We pray together today, Lord, your kingdom would come and your will would be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray, would you make up there, come down here. May it happen in us, may it happen in our hearts, may you begin to transform us so that we will begin to resemble those people described in the Beatitudes, that we might begin to resemble Jesus. Would you change us, God? We, we need to be changed. We, we need our worlds to be rocked. And I pray that you do that in each one of us, we pray. Do it through this church as we, Lord, as we want to see your kingdom come in our community, in our neighborhood. We want to see our, 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 your kingdom come around the world. Lead us in that, we pray. May your kingdom come. We look to you today, Lord. We're, we're grateful for what you're doing here in our midst. And humbly ask you to leave us in the weeks to come, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shattered and broken, the, the 
This morning, we want to invite you, if you'd like to receive prayer this morning, we'll pray with you that God's kingdom would come in your experience, in your life. Whatever your need is, we'll pray for God's will, his kingdom to be made real in you. And so feel free to come, as, as we always offer, uh, to, to receive prayer. We have refreshments back there, but if you'd remain standing or stand if you're able uh, to receive the benediction, this gospel, this, uh, this good news, is that the kingdom of God has been made available to you. As you go, may you come to experience more and more and more of his kingdom life, God's kingdom life in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you.